Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Afternoon Ask Anything with DK. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. And this show comes your way at 1.30 p.m. live streaming every day on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, probably other places that I'm not yet familiar with. And then after we're done, uh, and it takes about a half hour after we're done, we take this, we just strip the audio out, and we put it out in podcast form onto DK Sports Radio. So you, if you missed it now, and that's understandable because you really should be working, you could still listen to it on your way home. The first question comes today from Mike Hamilton, who asks if there are any updates on Tristan Jari's injury. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how late you stayed up last night, Mike, but he uh, he's said to have an upper body injury, but a couple of strange things came from there. One was that Casey DeSmith, who actually spoke before Mike Sullivan, coach usually goes last in hockey, which is strange in and of itself, but Casey DeSmith said, I don't think it's that serious. And in addition to that, Sullivan later, who never elaborates on an injury, said a couple of things about Jari's. He said, one, uh, he had no idea when or how it happened. And again, that doesn't sound like it's giving out much information, but he's he never says anything. And two, he said that the medical people, the Penguins medical staff, apparently felt it was serious enough to take him out of the game. So I took all of that, all three of those combined, uh, into meaning that nobody's really uh, worried about this. Daryl Fisher asks, what made Tyson Alualu change his mind and return to the Steelers? Answer, the Steelers. (laughs) That one was easy. Cam Hayward, Stefan Tuitt. T.J. Watt, many different players, but principally positional coach Carl Dunbar reached out and just personally appealed to him, just said, you got to come home. You got to come home. We know what the situation is here. We know that uh, they're probably not going to give you as much as Jacksonville offered you, but you got to come home. And because Alulu had contracted covid and was unable to sign his contract with the Jaguars, it wasn't signed. He had simply agreed to terms. Now, it's not a great look for anybody, player or agent, to back out of an an agreement, but he's 34. This is likely going to be his last contract, his last year. So he was within his rights, technically speaking, until pens on paper, you know? Anything at all is is fair game here, by the way. I see a lot of Penguins, and I see a lot of Steelers, and I'm not seeing any Pirates, even though we're only two days away from 
opening day. I'll be flying to Chicago, by the way, uh, tomorrow myself here. Robert Hill asks, what's the primary reason Penn State and Pitt can't work out a consistent deal to play every year? I mean, plain and simple here, and I'd say this if, the, if it was true in the other direction because I don't have a horse in this race. I'm not even into college football, let alone one university or the other. But this one's on Penn State. Pitt makes it clear publicly every single year that they want to do this. Uh, Heather Like says it out loud. Pat Narduzzi says it out loud. And then you hear the exact opposite from James Franklin and Sandy Barber in State College. Um, they believe that Penn State has more to gain from beating up on some low-level foes and working their way into the Big Ten schedule. Plus, and this is a way bigger deal, the older generation of Penn State fans, not just up there in and around campus, but all over the country and the world has this thing where they just see themselves as being on some higher plane of existence than the University of Pittsburgh, and then that's how that comes about here. Bill Hoffman asks, what grade do you give the Buckos for this offseason as we get ready for opening day? I mean, what offseason, Bill? They didn't really do anything. I mean, this the off season. I, I I shouldn't say that the off season. When I think of what it, what kind of grade for the off season, I'm thinking of a normal building up a roster toward that year's team. And in that sense, if you're talking about what Ben Charrington did, and it's you know bringing in a couple of veterans and stuff, that stuff doesn't really matter. What mattered, and I'm hoping this is what you're asking is what kind of return he got for Jamison Tyone, for Joe Musgrove. Uh, I've seen these kids, uh, in particular the ones from the Tyone trade. I'm surprised, maybe stunned, that the Yankees would give up both Miguel Yahure and Ruanzi Contreras having seen them pitch, having seen their stuff. They're not finished products. They're not going to be in Pittsburgh. Probably not in 2021. I would definitely count on seeing them in 2022. But these are real talents, and they're younger. And uh, with all due respect to to, to Jamo, he's not got a history of staying on the mound for very long. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mr. Eric says Freddie Goudreau is good at hockey. Every bit as good as you are at hockey analysis, my good man. Billy Harris says, good afternoon, DK. Do you think the Steelers signing Bellage is a sign that the RB position won't be handled in the draft? No, no, a thousand times no. Uh, I, I can't make this statement strongly enough the the Steelers finished 32nd out of 32 teams in rushing uh Kalen Balaj is here on a one-year deal this is not some exceptional talent 
fourth round pick from 2018. So he's a lower pick than Anthony McFarland was last year. Looking at his stats here, he's been on a practice squad. He was with the Jets and the Chargers. No, what you're looking at here is trying to find ways to reinforce a classroom that does not have a whole ton of talent here. Um, I would think this spells doom for Jalen Samuels, but maybe not even that. Uh, just because he was signed today doesn't doesn't mean he's interesting just because it's the last thing that happened. You know what I mean? Burns says, who do you think the Penguins will protect slash lose in the Seattle expansion draft? Is Casey DeSmith safe? We will, by the way. We will establish a moratorium on expansion draft questions at some point, at some point in the history of this budding program. I'm just saying that right now because there's really no, you can do these things and mock them up. And the guys that end up being in jeopardy, uh, when you look at the nature of the protected lists, the contracts that are out there, uh, meaning on the Penguins roster, the statuses of those guys, who has to be protected, who doesn't have to be protected. Uh, your number two goaltender is always up in the air, but I've got to think as as wonderful of a stretch as DeSmith is having right now, I've got to think that there are uh, goaltenders elsewhere that will be a better fit uh, for what Ron Francis wants to build up there. You're usually not looking to take guys who had just spent the previous year in the AHL in an expansion draft. And again, I'm saying that with – immense respect and acknowledgement for what DeSmith is doing this season. You know, someone like Zach Aston Reese, that's probably just going to be the way I answer this one from now on because it's going to come up an awful lot. Let's see what else we got here. Mike Bober says, with the Flyers putting Shane Gostisbehere on waivers, do you think Ron Hextall puts in a claim? I think everybody puts in a claim. Um, this is the first sign, I'd say, of Philadelphia management starting to freak out. And that game last night in Buffalo, had the Flyers not roared back, if one ever needs to roar against the Sabres, uh, to win that down 3 nothing and then winning 4-3 in overtime, that had to have been the game that got Elaine Vigneault fired if they hadn't come back because that would have been the surest sign yet that they're just not listening to this guy at all. Certainly not when it comes to defending, we've been riding Carter Hart and to a lesser extent, Brian Elliott really hard for their goaltending. I think all of their problems start with goaltending, but that doesn't mean that all of their problems are limited uh, to that right now. Dave Gormley asks, how bad, <laughs> speaking of the Sabres, were the 2003 and 04 Penguins? Hopefully the Sabres will eclipse that tomorrow. 83-84 Penguins were worse, though. Dave, take it from someone who covered all 18 games of the Penguins losing streak in 03-04. Two things. One, they were that bad. Two, unlike the Sabres, they tried so hard. The work ethic on that team was through the roof. It was one of the hardest working teams I've ever covered. They just had almost no talent, in particular, up front. When they did score, it was guys on the back end like Dick Tarnstrom, uh, who actually ended up being tied with Ryan Malone as the team's leading scorer by season's end. 
Uh, Rick Jackman had a big point. Jackman was the one who, by the way, uh, ended that losing streak with an overtime goal on a feed from Tarnstrom. <laughs> that was in overtime out in Glendale. I actually have way too vivid a uh, recollection of the whole scene, but sometimes things like that just stand out for you, as I'm sure it will for the people who are covering uh, the Sabres right now. Let's see what else we got here. King Khalil asks, uh, who do you think the Steelers are looking at scouting for running backs in this year's draft? Well, we've already seen them make some pro day appearances. Those get inflated. We see that Mike Tomlin or Kevin Colbert and then positional coaches make it to a pro day, and we think that's it. That's absolutely the guy they want. And then somebody gets an image of Tomlin talking to the player or to the coach or whatever it is, whether it's informally or otherwise, and it becomes a really big deal. The fact is they got to lay eyes on all these people, and they're going to find a way to do it. In some cases, they're going to do it in person. They're looking for little traits, things that they notice on the side, um, just give you a really, really fun example. Chase Claypool at, at his pro day, they saw him doing things on special teams. Colbert and Tomlin, they agreed on this, echoed each other on this. They saw the way he conducted himself even off to the side of the field, like away from drills that showed enthusiasm for doing what a lot of star-type college football players would consider to be grunt work. And they said, that's our guy. That's a stealer. That's somebody that we want. They knew, everybody knew he could catch a football, that he could go deep, that he has the frame that he does, that he could still fill into the frame. But when they go to the pro days in person, they're looking for that kind of stuff. It's a, it's a limited amount of time that they have, and they try to take every bit of it there. Uh, what, what did you actually ask here? Which running backs? Sorry. Uh, all of them is, is who they're scouting is the technical answer there. Uh, if you're asking me who I'd like out of that group, it's Travis Etienne over Najee Harris, but not by a lot, and I would not kick Najee Harris off my roster if that's the guy that they end up taking. Jeremy asks, what did you think of the Pirates lineup today? He says, I think there's some real potential and honestly, it's more exciting than last year's roster. Well, you know, let's not set the bar there. I mean, that, that might have been the worst overall performance we've ever seen, like meaning since we've been alive anyway. I go back to the 1800s and the 1890s when the Pirates were at their historical worst. Uh, you're asking me about their lineup today. And I'm looking it up here on DK Pittsburgh Sports to see how they took the field. This is the game, the annual game in Fort Myers that signifies the end of spring training and as such uh, really isn't taken all that seriously by either side. However, looking at the lineup here, it's Adam Frazier leading off, and that's good because Adam Frazier is only hitting 500-plus. Brian Hayes, who's already homered today, is second. I think that's going to stick. I assume this is what you're asking me. You know, if this is what it's going to look like at Wrigley Field on Thursday, I'm not 100% sure. 
but Brian Reynolds at third. Colin Moran is strangely comfortable in the cleanup role. Um, he's got that knack for driving in runs. And yes, baseball people believe that is a skill, that that is something that you either can or can't do on a regular basis. Gregory Polanco is fifth. Kevin Newman in his 700 billion average is at sixth. Jacob Stalling seventh. And then Anthony Alford is is the guy at the bottom. I, you know what? I'm looking at this. That's I, that's the lineup I think you're going to see out there against the Cubs. This is what they've been building toward here. Why is Hayes second? Some people are going to ask, especially old schoolers. That's because the new school, the math, shows that you put your most productive, your most likely to get on base and make things happen player at the second spot, the math shows that that ends up, that formula produces the most runs. And the one thing that has not changed about baseball in a century and a half is that it's still ultimately about runs. Brian Collins asks, if you were in charge of this year's draft, would you draft Jack Leiter or Kumar Rocker? I'm going to punt on this one, Brian. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to let him pitch. I really, I really hope that the city's baseball fans don't get trapped in this. I've got to take one side or the other. This isn't politics. Let them pitch. Let's see it play out. I've said, though, on the record, if all things are equal, and I don't know that they are, if their stuff is equal, if their uh, mechanics are equal uh, relative to keeping themselves healthy, I will always take, and so would anybody, the bigger bodied guy because it's on a more pitchable frame, meaning you're likely to get more durability, more health, more innings, and thus more value from that pitcher. That, of course, for anybody who hasn't followed this closely, is Rocker. Big, big dude. Uh, Spectacular asks, curious if you know the meaning of the hand gesture thing the Penguins have been doing after they score. I'm actually not sure what you're referring to. What hand gesture thing? If you if you can lay that out for me here, I'll definitely be uh, looking to see if there's any kind of uh, response for you. Rick asks, DK, uh, I saw that the Pirates are still interested in Todd Frazier offhand. Do you know for what? We've got to cool it with the Todd Frazier thing, people. He's spectacularly insignificant. Uh, really nice guy. He's had a really nice career. He's 35 years old. He has a bad back. He did not have this wonderful spring that everybody's talking about. He hit a couple of home runs that happened to be on televised games and everyone went, whoa, Todd Frazier's on the team. And we remember from when he was with the Reds, how he owned the Pirates and just obliterated PNC Park. But that was a few years ago. Uh, he lost his roster spot to Philip Evans on merit. Philip Evans was a much better baseball player. Philip Evans is also seven years younger with six full years of service time on the clock ahead of him. This was not a difficult choice. So the Pirates let Todd Frazier go out 
and see what other interest there was, and there was none. There are 29 other teams in baseball. This was the interest. That's why Todd Frazier is looking seriously and considering going to the Altoona. Uh, I, I keep calling it the Altoona Satellite Camp. It's not going to be in Altoona this year. It, it's going to be uh, local, like at, at, at Pitt and Heinz Field and other things. But he's he's been rejected. This is what happens to players at the end of their career. We've got to stop making a soap opera out of Todd Frazier. Let's see what else we got here. Chris Cerrotti asks, what, what's Will Craig's future with the Pirates after they sent him to the minors? Will they move on from him or they'll give him a chance sometime this season? No, he, he's done here. I mean, he's still here, obviously. Will Craig has a really good glove. He's a terrific defensive first baseman, uh, the best one the Pirates have, actually, in the organization. And at the same time, he has a misleading bat. Uh, his home run, his home run numbers jumped in the International League right when the ball got juiced, and that's too close for convenience. Um, he's he's not going to be a factor here. Gary reminds me on this live feed, or tells me, informs me, I should say, on this live feed that Alex Stumpf of DK Pittsburgh Sports is reporting that Todd Frazier has signed. Uh, to uh, AAA Indianapolis with the Pirates now. So, yay. I, really, man, the way stuff takes off as it relates to the Pirates, like bad stuff. This this was the most non-thing ever. David Jamison asks, is there anything at all that you miss about Three River Stadium? Everything. Um, I really like the place. I mean, say what you want about, you know, the aesthetics of it. And the practicality of playing baseball inside a round bowl, but that was that was my place growing up. When I was a kid, my dad took me to, to games down there. That was magic. That was larger than life. And I'm not going to lie. I for the the visual component of Three River Stadium for me always always fit with the Pittsburgh landscape, same way the Civic Arena did. Uh, sure, both of them were badly outdated. By the time you started seeing these beautiful palaces, especially the baseball ones, show up in Baltimore and then Cleveland, and you thought, man, it'd be really cool to have a ballpark, like an actual baseball park. And then Mayor Sophie Masloff came up with the plan for Roberto Clemente Field on the current site of PNC Park. Talk about vision right and that was when it really started to snowball that you, know, you can do this with two stadiums it's more expensive and, and that was going to be the end of three rivers three rivers only lasted 30 years you know 1970 to 2000 yes i i i definitely miss the place oscar vasquez asks are you comfortable with the qb room in pittsburgh or do you think we might see some changes well art rooney used the term QB room uh, in Pittsburgh uh, in his recent meetings in in Pittsburgh, I should say, with, with reporters. Uh, and I think some people interpreted that right away to mean, 
oh no, they're going to replace Ben or this. And all, all he really meant was, is he used the word obviously when he said that. And what he meant, I think, obviously, was you have Ben, you have Mason, and you no longer have Duck, and you no longer have uh, Josh Dobbs. So you need other quarterbacks. You have Dwayne Haskins. Is he going to be your three, or is he going to be your Paxton Lynch-type number four project? You know what I mean? So there's another quarterback that needs to be brought in. Hey, hey, maybe it'll come in the draft. Can't rule it out. Can't rule it out. They've, they've had bigger surprises in the draft, I would say, uh, than that. Michael Catlin asks, would you trade with the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, despite them being a traditional divisional rival? Um, first of all, the only people that consider the Penguins and the Blue Jackets a rivalry are all based in Columbus. Uh, I don't hear that from anyone here. Not to go Penn, Penn State on Pitt here, but I just don't hear that. I think they had a couple of encounters that were acrimonious. Uh, they had Brandon Dubinsky, who made a lot of people mad here for a little bit, but that doesn't make a rivalry. You've got to be in the playoffs a whole lot more than Columbus has been. Uh, yes, I do think a trade would or could or would happen between those teams. I, I really don't think that sort of thing is a big deal today as much as it used to be. And, I, and I've heard GMs say stuff like that in general, that they're not all that worried about it. Critter asks, if Mitch Keller continues to struggle with fastball command as he gets sent down or moved to a long relief role, man, if you're the Pirates, you got to take a deep breath at just at even thinking about something like that. Uh, that's how important Keller is. Uh, his loss in one form or other, whether it's injury the way it was last season or performance, which arguably would be scarier still, uh, it, it's it's unthinkable. That's how important Keller is. And, and within that, that's why I didn't take his three scoreless one-hit innings seriously the other day because he still walked three guys. He, he missed with his fastball on a regular basis, got a little too deep into counts. There's nothing that you can achieve as a pitcher at any level without simple, routine, Fastball command. Robert Hill. Thoughts on Todd Frazier coming back? Ah, no. He doesn't matter at all. Where is this coming from? Is this like a radio thing? Did I miss something? Keith Hadley. How about David Bednar? Nice story. Hey, now there you go. Now that's something. Way to come through, Keith. Uh, David Bednar. Uh, Mars native, meaning from Butler County not Mars, has been unbelievable this spring. He's kind of a stocky right-hander, if you haven't seen him. He's throwing 97 free and easy. He's got dynamite, off-speed stuff to keep hitters honest, a little bit of deception to get some late swings, uh, and he's got poise, too. He's got the kind of moxie that when he takes the mound, you can see that 
maybe it won't take all that long for Derek Shelton to start using him into the back end of the bullpen. But what I think you're going to see first, based on some spring hints along the way, is Bednar coming in the way Jeff Hartleap did last season. Now, I know nobody was paying attention to the Pirates by that point, but Hartleap was really good when he came in with inherited runners. And he would just strand the guys, and that was that. Uh, Hartlieb, of course, yesterday was sent down. A little bit of a surprise, but not all that much. And now, now you might have another guy that's in that category here. Anthony says, Frazier's back, LOL. I know. <laughs> I, I have to think that anybody who's even thinking or talking about Todd Frazier, and I say this in a nice way, because I don't expect anybody to follow sports the way I do, the way a lot of people do. Uh, what your interest is is your interest. But if you're talking about Todd Frazier after this spring training that just happened, then you just weren't watching this spring training and all the stuff uh, that's happened down there. Here, Robert asks another one here. Here, we're going to give Robert a mulligan here. Could additional realignment happen when a post-COVID NHL season returns like would they ever consider keeping a canadian division my understanding is that even though there's a lot of people in canada who like it uh, including some of the teams themselves the answer to that is no uh, for many many reasons but the chief one is those teams if they stay in a division while you're playing a full schedule against all 32 teams and it will be 32 next season uh, with Seattle entering, the travel is going to be unbelievable. Let's not forget, you've got Ottawa and Montreal in the same division as Vancouver. That's nuts. And they'd be facing each other a lot of times. And I think if you're talking about something that'll stick, Robert, after uh, COVID, one thing that's been really popular with everybody has been the series thing where you go to a town and you play a team two games. Uh, that cuts down on travel, cuts down on wear and tear, uh, keeps your best players healthier, which is good for the league and good for the TV contracts. Um, and fans, if they've gotten at least a little bit used to it with just seeing the same seven or in the Canadian case, six teams coming through town again and again and again. I think you can handle it uh, over the the long run here. Harley says, uh, to our credit, in, in fairness to us, the Pirates TV team was always pumping up having Todd Frazier. That surprises me not at all. That is all I'll say on that front. My goodness. Why? Why? Mark asks, has there been any indication as to when the minor league seasons will begin? To be honest, as a Pirates fan, that intrigues me more at this point. I, I can't imagine why it would, but that's your choice, Mark. I mean, the minor leagues don't have Brian Hayes. Uh, the minor leagues don't have guys hitting 700, 500, whatever it is that these guys just did in spring training. I think there's plenty to watch right here in Pittsburgh, regardless of their outcomes, but that's just me. And again, I respect your choice. Uh, the minor league season is set to start. And like everything else in this time, it's tentative on May 1st. That's when you're going to start seeing Indianapolis and everything else here. Uh, the 
short season teams that none of that stuff's been determined yet here. Daryl asks, do the Steelers think that Dwayne Haskins could be their future quarterback? They do not. They do not. But they brought him in. I compared him earlier in this episode to Paxton Lynch, and I think that's that's much closer to uh, to what you have here. Daniel asks, what would be a fair value for a Cody Cece extension contract? For anybody who doesn't know, Cody Cece, uh, in addition to being maybe the Penguins' single most pleasant surprise this season, is also in a contract year. Sometimes that makes GMs nervous in and of itself because you're thinking the guy is just motivated by the money and everything else here. When you watch CC's style of play, it really hasn't changed much from Ottawa to Toronto to Pittsburgh. The only difference between his first two stops, in Ottawa he was a 15th overall pick, so they thought he was going to be a star. He isn't. He goes to Toronto, and everyone gets buried in Toronto. I mean, except for the, the most Matt Sundin-esque players. Like now they have Austin Matthews and a couple others that have talent. Everyone gets buried there. He got buried. He comes to Pittsburgh. He's put in just the right role by Mike Sullivan and Todd Reardon. And it's worked out for him. It's worked out for them. I would love to see Ron Hextall and Brian Burke approach CC with a long-term contract that would be somewhere in the range of around 4 and 16, something like that. If you think that sounds excessive, you're free to do that, but I'm going by what's standard market value, you know? And I think something like that would be reasonable. But within that, you got to move another contract out, preferably, obviously, from the left side that's of similar value. David O'Brien asks, and we only have time for a couple more of these, do you feel the Steelers could go linebacker first in this draft, specifically the linebacker from Tulsa who can play both inside and rush the quarterback from the outside? I always feel like the Steelers are a threat to draft a linebacker with every pick. Okay, let's go there. Uh, Could they use another linebacker? Yes, uh, I love Robert Spillane's passion and his energy. I don't love his athleticism. If he is your starter, replacing Vince Williams, I don't even believe he'll be an upgrade on Vince. I understand why the Vince thing happened to an extent, but I don't believe he's as good a football player now or in this coming season as what Vince would have been. So I, I, I'm not excited about that one. Uh, you need mobility at that position these days. You also need to be a threat to get back to the quarterback, which is something else that Vince did. So surprise me, no. Um, uh, it's not the thing that I would take, and it's not necessarily the thing that I'm expecting. All right, two more, and they'll come from, uh, let's say, let's get one from Ben, and let's say one from Eric. Ben asks, which traded Pirate will have the most successful season with his new team? I hope, I hope so very much that it's Josh Bell. Uh, I won't rule out that Joe Musgrove will put up some better numbers. He's always been a fly ball pitcher, and being at Petco, fly balls are your friend because none of them ever leave the yard. 
it would also be a tremendous story if Jamison Tyone were to find health first and foremost, but some success with the Yankees, but just staying on the mound. But Bell, uh, for anybody who hasn't been tracking what the Nationals are doing in spring training, and you're to be forgiven for that, he's absolutely murdered the ball. And I know the guy pretty well, like meaning off, you know, away from the field. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I've got some bias here, but I'd be very, very, very happy for him. And we got one more today. Oh, and it's a good one. Eric James Glassbrenner asks, Mike Matheson's game is so perplexing. Lots of skill, but so many gaps to it. It is. Did you see the plays that he made last night for secondary assists on both goals? No. You know why? Because everybody's just going to show you the part that John Marino did. John Marino skates 200 feet to set up Anthony Angelo for the first goal, but nobody sees that just before that, Matheson made a sliding block of a shot on a, on a semi-two-on-one break for the Islanders, bounced up off his skates, went into the corner, and immediately just moved the puck over to Marino to get him going. Second goal, the only other goal the Penguins scored. Matheson gets the puck by the Islanders' bench as they're going on a change, spins around, fires the puck all the way across the rink, diagonally and forward, to Marino to spring him again. This time, Marino sets up Jared McCann for the pretty deflection in front. Both of those goals created by Mike Matheson, both of them really from a defensive mindset. There's so much there with this dude in terms of raw ability that if you can just coach him to do the simplest possible thing in the defensive zone, He's going to be an asset just because of all the physical skills that he has. Uh, I want to thank everybody uh, for being part of this. These are these are really cool. Uh, Mr. Eric says, uh, I say this every day. I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, Harley says, thanks for doing these Q&As. No, thanks to everybody here. This, this is really cool. Uh, again, I, I want to implore that if you if you like this stuff, uh, that we're doing here, there's a lot more of it at DK Pittsburgh Sports. I don't presume that everybody that's participating in these is, is a subscriber. If for whatever reason you can't afford one, we're aware of what kind of times these are for a lot of people. Shoot me a note, okay? Just reach out to me, whether that's on Facebook, Twitter, or whatever. I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, and And let me know about it, and we'll find a way to work with you and take care of you. Uh, also, check out the Daily Shot podcasts that are available bright and early every weekday morning. There's one each on Steelers, Penguins, and Pirates. almost forgot who I cover. I need another coffee so bad. <laughs> Thanks for watching this. <laughs>